and we're going to be talking about um, light. We're going to be talking about truth, and then we're going to be talking about our responsibility, having received light and truth. So I would like you to pray a little prayer with me. In, and today, I'm really going to be asking for audience participation because we can't just be pew warmers. We can't just come and sit. There needs to be response because throughout a message, there are countless opportunities, I believe, that the Lord gives people to respond to him as truth is being placed before you. And so today I'm going to ask for response. And I'm going to come back to this, but I'm going to start. I'm going to test you. How many people here know what it means to be a born-again Christian? Do you? You don't know? If you can't, and here's something I heard a long time ago is, if you can't respond to easy things, why, why would I expect you, or why would God expect you to respond to hard things? Little tests. If we're singing a song and the song says, I lift my hands to you, and you can't lift your hands to him, are you really singing the song? I say no. That's where, I mean, these things, it sounds silly, but it matters. How many people here are born-again Christians? Thank you. I, we're going to revisit that. But that's the kind of response. See, I'm not asking you to sing. I'm not asking you to come up and talk. I'm just asking for response because response is important. Okay. Um, so our prayer, our little prayer today is going to be, we're all going to pray the same thing. So if you could just quietly, you don't have to say it out loud, but if you could just join your heart to this idea. Heavenly Father, I humble myself before you. I ask you for mercy today. I ask you to teach me your ways so that I might know you more. I want to know something about you today that I didn't before. Help me with this. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Pain-free. Uh, a little side note, doggy bag thing. If you ever want God's attention, ask him for mercy. Mercy always gets his attention. The heartfelt cry, have mercy on me, always gets his attention. Okay, we're going to talk about light today and the way of light. So uh, by way of doing that, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. If I could have Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 starts like this. This is the beginning of the book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. 
if we could jump down to uh, Genesis 1, and I don't have my, uh, verse 14 to 19. Then God said, this is the fourth day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Uh, some interesting things. Obviously, God creates by speaking. But one of the first things he speaks into existence in the scriptures is light. Light is for sight. Light is for sight so that we might be safe, be confident, have assurance, know where we're going. When I come home at night, I have lived in my home for over 20 years. And I certainly know the lay of the land. But every night when I come home, the first thing I do is turn on the lights. I've worked at the same place for 12 years. And yet when I leave work at night, I always turn on the lights on my car. It's not that I don't know my way home. It's that it's harder in the dark. There's too many things that are unexpected. Aria's new thing is marbles. You find them everywhere. I'm turning on the lights because there may be a marble. And despite knowing my house so well, I still knock into things. I don't do things quickly. I don't do things confidently in the dark. We are made for the light. Over 80% of our sensory functions revolve around light. Learning, cognition, recognition. Sight is one of the main senses that we have naturally. And so this idea of God wanting to give us light and him then saying, this is good, light is good, and I'm going to separate light from the darkness. Uh, and I, Maybe you noticed it. I think maybe for the first time I noticed it. God made, God gave us light. He created light and called it night and day before he made the sun and the moon. Interesting. He didn't make the sun and the moon until the fourth day. But the first thing he did was give light to the earth. On the fourth day, he said, almost like, let me give added insurance. I'm going to give you a sun to rule and govern by day to ensure there's always sufficient light. And even at night when it's dark, 
I'm going to give you a lesser light so that there is always some light. Some, not sun. These things, I think, are very interesting. And in God, there's always a parallel between the natural and the spiritual. So light is for sight. And throughout the scriptures, we have this idea of um, this contrast between light and dark. And the comparison is all often light is good, dark is bad. Light is good, dark is evil. Following me so far? So that throughout the scriptures, we can find uh, Jesus saying, I don't want you to walk in darkness. And it doesn't mean he doesn't want you to walk around at night. It meant he didn't want you to be spiritually dark or to walk in evil. So, uh, so we have these terms in the scripture and these offsetting comparisons, light versus dark, good versus evil. And if we could have the verse in um, uh, 1 John chapter 1. One of the things that we find out about God is, uh, in 1 John we read, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Oh no, 1 John, I'm sorry. 1 John 1. One John one verse five says this: This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Light includes openness, there for all to see. There is nothing hidden. So, with this as our premise. I would like us to go to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, we find that the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, have been created and have been placed in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And there were two trees in the garden, and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree they were told not to eat from. The other one was the tree of life that they were able to eat from. So now I'm, I'm going to read to you. Uh, starting in verse 1 of Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Do you see this sight and light words? I'm going to call attention every time something is included that denotes seeing and especially a seeing, an internal seeing, not just a physical seeing. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw, get it? 
saw. That's not physical seeing. That is when she saw inside here. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable for making one wise, that's certainly good, isn't it? Wisdom is great. That's a good thing. She took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband who was across the yard. No, he wasn't. It says with her. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both, what? What was opened? The eyes. Not the physical eyes, the internal eyes. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Okay, we have some things to consider here because they're relevant to life, not because... We just want to read old stories from Genesis. What we find happening here in the garden, and we know if you read the whole book, you'll know that the serpent is, is uh, actually Satan. Satan himself uh, appeared to them, came to them as a serpent. And the first thing he did was raise suspicion about God. hidden motive. Darkness. There's a dark motive in your God. He's holding something back from you. You surely will not die, said the serpent, for God knows that when you eat of the tree, you'll be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him, is the accusation. He's withholding from you something good. So then, if, if we could bring the verse back up, uh, when she saw that the fruit was good. Now, up until now, God has been the one defining creation, identifying good. Him saying light is good. Him saying the creation of the lights in the heavens was good. Him saying that the creation of the flowers and the fish and the animals, he called it all good. When he made man, he rested because everything was very good. That's Genesis 1 and 2, if you want to go back and read. Everything was very good. And what the serpent does here, he introduces this idea, there is darkness in God. There's a hidden motive. He's holding out on you. Maybe he's not God. If you could be like him, maybe he really isn't God. And so in talking with the serpent, 
the scripture says, when the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Had God said it was good for, had God said that it was good for food? No. He said, "Do not eat of it. In the day you eat of it, you will die." But this alternative vision entered into the woman. That's what deception is. Deception always involves a aha moment. I get it. I see it. That aha moment of, oh, the tree is actually good. Also says, God isn't good for telling me to not eat it. She took from the fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And then what happened? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Just to describe what has happened, up until this point, their vision was clear. The things that God was calling good and evil were defined by them for God. And actually, Genesis uh, chapter 2, the last verse says... And the man and the woman were naked and were unashamed. One of the first things that happens upon them wanting to venture out and decide for themselves what's good and evil, eating of the fruit, one of the first things they did was they called something that God called good, they called evil. So one of the first things we find is that their eyes, their vision was skewed. It was off. Now, I want to revisit Judah's water bottle. Demonstration from last week, and if you don't know what that is, please go back to last week, wherein... Judah describes all things made new. But in our water bottle example, we have a man. Three parts. Body, soul, which is mind, heart, desires, memories, choices, and spirit. And up until this point, the Adam and Eve in the garden are a functioning person. Their spirit, their soul, their body are all functioning correctly. When, and this being the spirit, it's larger, it's more robust because the spirit is joined with God's spirit. It can receive more because it's in direct contact with God. In fact, the scripture says for you and I, he who is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit with the Lord. Your spirit is joined to him. But what happens with Adam and Eve, they are functioning correctly until they eat from the fruit of the tree. God said, the day you eat of it, you will die. And that death was seen rapidly by this.
the cutting off, the separating, the dying. The word in Hebrew, the word death means separate, separate, separated. When you die, you're separated from us here. This separation was immediately evident in what they saw and what they knew. Their vision was cut off. The first thing that died was their ability to see things correctly. And they immediately began almost like skewed or fuzzy vision or seeing everything off. No longer having the resource of their spirit, their soul became the decider. And they became the arbiter of good and evil. And immediately, one of the th first things they did is they judged, oh my gosh, look at us. We're naked. They once were naked and unashamed. For how long did they go on like that? I don't know, but for a while. But all of the sudden, the way God made me is not good. Now I am ashamed. And so I immediately have to remedy this through flimsy fig leaves. The first fashion of the day. So what we see is one of the first fruits of darkness, internal darkness, no longer being able to uh, see in agreement with God is they saw something about themselves. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed at the way I've been walking around. I'm embarrassed at the way God made me. I'm embarrassed that God let me walk around like this. So I'm going to remedy it. The next thing they did is the man that when his spirit had been alive, had fellowshiped with God in the cool of the day. They had ongoing fellowship. Man was made for fellowship with God. When his spirit was separated from God and now his soul was in charge of choices, when he heard God, he ran. This was the second indicator of death, meaning Separation, you're cut off. You're no longer connected to living vision, to living truth. So he hid himself. And so the Lord said, where are you? And he said, I hid myself because I was afraid. Because I was naked, I was afraid. God said, who told you you were naked? was never a problem before. It's not a problem in my economy. The other thing I would add is that people who study the scriptures, biblical scholars, there's something called the law of the first mention. And it describes the first time something is mentioned explains its principle. This is the first time we hear fear mentioned. And fear is connected to sin and punishment. Fear. 
is connected to sin consciousness. So um, you can also put that in your doggy bag, but it's relevant to life. Um, fear is so rampant in the day we live in, even fear among Christians. And that fear is connected to sin consciousness that is still not broken in an area, a place where God still needs to break through and they still need to find out, you're not holding this over my head, as Judah mentioned in, in the ministry this morning. So our takeaways from Genesis chapter 3, very important. The serpent doesn't just accuse us, he does accuse us. But he also accuses God. And his basis for accusing God is to arouse suspicion in my mind, your mind, our minds. God's holding out on you. There's something he's not given you. Because he knows there's some kind of dark motive. He just wants to hang you over the fire a little bit more, but then he'll pull you out. But he just wants your toes, Josh, just to get a little bit warm. There's some kind of dark motive. The second thing he wants to arouse is this idea of, I want to choose what's good and evil. I want to choose what's good and bad in my life. There is that thing in man that can be ignited, that can be stirred, that says, even in a godly Christian religious sense, I know what's good here. And the second thing is to cover it. Something about myself, that the way God made me, something about me that falls short, it's always me, I'm not good enough, I'm not, and then you fill in the blank. I don't know Greek and Hebrew, I don't know this, I don't know that, this has happened to me, therefore I am no longer what? There's a lot of blanks to fill in. This happened to me, so this is now who I am. Or I've seen this, like some revelation, and now I understand God didn't make me right. He didn't watch over me well enough. Why did God make me the way he made me? And you, again, fill in the blank. And from the point, that point in the garden, mankind plummeted. And we see a whole history of what different people will yield to with a darkened spirit, only ruling by mind and body, only doing what seems right to them. And for many, many years, some people with a darkened spirit will not kill somebody. Some people will. Depending on how people yield. But the depravity of man was seen on a large scale, so much so that God wiped out the earth except for Noah and his family because the depravity was just unbelievable. It grieved God's heart that he had even made man. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Following Noah, Adam was chosen. God loved Adam and or Abraham, I'm sorry. God chose Abraham. He nurtured a relationship with him. 
That's where the children of Israel were birthed, and God gave the Ten Commandments. God once again had a people, and he said, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments, and we know ultimately, when you read the whole book, the Ten Commandments were given to show us you can't keep it. And so despite having the Ten Commandments, man continued on their road of depravity, their road of fallenness, their road of, I know what's good, I know what's good. I can tell you what's good. And for the final 400 years before Jesus was born, the children of Israel had no word from God because they had all the rules. They took the Ten Commandments and multiplied them. They didn't stay with the Ten Commandments. They made hundreds. And then we find this verse. I love this verse. Um, and I will find it for you in just a minute. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Coming upon this period of time where in the depravity, the fallen state of man, man trying to make it work himself, even having good rules, rules given by God. The law was good. Man just couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep that standard. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we read this. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And that light dawning was Jesus. Jesus coming, Jesus making himself known. And I'm going to be reading something, uh, two verses from John chapter 8 and John chapter 12, and I'm going to link them together. But before I do, I just want to remind us that maybe some months ago you might remember that we began to look at the gospel of John, and in John chapter 20, John writes this, this book is a collection of signs. And all of these signs have been recorded. There were many things I could have written, John said, but these signs have been specifically chosen so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have life in his name. Not just know it, but be changed by it. And so we understand that this book of John, this gospel of John, is a collection of signs specifically chosen for a purpose. And within the Gospel of John, we have the, what is called by scholars, the seven I am's of John. In Exodus chapter 2, when God appeared to Moses from the burning bush, God told Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. If you want some great reading, Read Exodus 1 and 2 and 3 and keep going. But what we find is Moses was running. He had killed a man. He was hiding, working for his father-in-law, and God appeared to him from a burning bush. And this meeting culminated with God saying, this is my name. I am the great I am. The name is called Yahweh. In short, we say God's name is I am. I am what you need me to be. I am who I said I am. 
I am, I exist, I live. All of these things are included in this idea of the name Yahweh. And then God told Moses, this is my memorial name forever. This name will never change. I'm always going to be the I am. I'm always going to be, my name is always going to be Yahweh. Old Testament, New Testament, forever. This is my memorial name. So in the gospel of John, these seven I am's are significant because there are places where Jesus is revealing himself to be, I am that person. I am the I am. And this is a part of the I am that maybe you haven't seen yet. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. The seven I am's. And there's, I say this so that we might get used to going home and digging and chewing and eating and saying, I want to get to the bottom of this. What This caught my attention. This is how Holy Spirit leads us. But in John chapter 8, Jesus said something specifically. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am. Here's one of the great I am's. This is him declaring something about himself. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. This is who I am. That's different. Some of you in this room are moms. It's not what you do. It's who you are. Some of you people in this room are husbands. It's not what you do, it's who you are. So some of you are musicians. It's not what you do. If you weren't getting paid, and so many of us don't, it's still what we do. I can't stop it. And so these I am's that Jesus is revealing are things that are unchanging, things that will be the same yesterday, today, now, and forever. This is unchanging. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, in Jesus saying, I am the light, I am the light of the world. Can we have the first verse, John chapter 8, again, please? Oh, that is up there. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is a declaration here of, I'm not hiding. I'm showing myself clearly. Light denotes nothing hidden. Complete and open Transparency. This is exactly who I am. And Hebrews follows that with saying, Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. If we could go on to John 12. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you, himself. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Jesus is a very confrontational figure. When we read the Bible like a fairy tale, it's a wonderful story. But in life, we are challenged with what we really have seen. Not what we have read, not what we have in our notes, but what I have actually seen. 
about him. Because the Genesis 3 account of the serpent visiting the man and the woman is not only a past historical event, it is a present day ongoing event. On a regular basis, the serpent comes to you and questions your God. This happens regularly. Why did God let this happen? If God were good, would he really have let this happen? If he can get us in a double mind, he's halfway home to victory. So the adversary, the serpent, is always seeking to produce some kind of double mind, some kind of mind like the woman in the garden had, where when God's motives were questioned, she bought it. She thought about it. She set aside what she knew. And that on a regular basis is us. Genesis 3 is not just written to tell us how man fall, fell, but to tell us how today men fall. How people stumble in life. How people get wounded, how things happen. And so my point in bringing this in front of us is, first off, to show God's way you know, when we talk about way, we talk about, there's three different aspects of way, the way somebody is. So when we talk about God's ways, we're saying, this is how God is. The second way we can talk about way is how somebody does something. How do you build this? How do you, how do, you do that? Way describes how something is done. And way also is a directional thing. Josh, how do I get to your house? Show me the way. So there's the way somebody is, the way something's done, the way you get somewhere. And this whole, the scriptures lay it all before us. How are people laid low? What is the way the devil uses? Well, he always questions, accuses God to you of dark motive. The second thing he accuses is you. Look at you. You're naked. You're weak. You're this. You're that. You're frail. You're the same thing that happened in the garden. The minute their eyes were so-called opened, they saw everything off, everything wrong. Their vision was skewed, and what God called good, they called bad. The temptation is always decide for yourself. And you hear it all the time. My truth, you have your truth, I have my truth. Well, no, there's only one truth, and we're going to get to that next week. But this idea of what's good for me may not be good for you. I worked with juvenile delinquents for over 10 years, and let me tell you, there were some kids that did unspeakable things because it seemed good to them. I worked in the jail for a very brief time. But there were men and women. I didn't work with the women there. But there were men there that did unspeakable things. They had to be put in jail to be kept away from other people and punished. 
because they did something that seemed good to them, regardless of the pain it caused somebody else. This is the danger we walk in in this world, in a, in a world that's plummeting, is as long as I only do what's good to me, I have lost the base, I've lost the anchor that God has given us. I've lost the anchor that God has given me. And so once, once that happens, once that is unsettled, once God might have a hidden motive, once I might view myself as naked and I gotta cover myself up and when I hear God coming, I run away. Don't tell me this doesn't also happen to Christians because it does. Being a Christian means you set right. But now you're learning how to walk this way. And we still have many places in our mind where this is still wants to rule. And this is part of discipleship. Part of discipleship is not getting you to come over and wash my car for me. Part of discipleship is not you coming and showing me what a servant you can be by doing all the stuff I don't want to do like mow my grass. Discipleship has everything to do only with truth received. Learning to walk in truth. So, this morning, uh, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but um, all these messages are linked. This, to, next week, we're going to talk about the way of truth, but the way of truth and the way of light are like two sides of the same coin. They're different, but they're together. Now, audience participation. Who here has been born again? I have. I know what that term means. When you were born again, did you know quickly that something was different? I did. What did you know that was different? Uh, Jackie Keene, please. If you just had to say, this should be easy questions. On the day you were born again, this I knew. So you knew you were assured heaven. How could you know that, you silly woman? <laughs> Isn't that what people say? How could you know that? Somebody else, something you knew the minute you were born again, just a couple of people. Uh, Jen. Jen. This is what happened. This came alive and you got your first taste of light. You knew something. I knew I was clean. How? I don't know. I started to work right again. I, you and I have been made for light and at your born again experience, no matter what you might have said, at some point, you were like the newborn babe who came out, and I've had the privilege of seeing both of my children born, and upon both occasions, they were blinking. They came from a place that was dark into a place that was light, and their eyes had to get used to it. And their little eyes were like open, like, I want to see, but this is hard, and that's us. When you were born again, 
You were perfectly made for light from God. It is how you must function. It is how you are made. You have eyes of your heart, eyes of your spirit. You are made the right way. You can see what you need to see. You aren't lesser. One of The exercise of our Bible study was not so that the learned people might spout all that they know, but that all of us might find out we all can get light when we read the book of Acts. That was intended to be the lesson. This is what I saw. This is what I saw. And we saw evidence of it in our Bible study. People saying, this is what I saw. Excellent. We're now learning to see because we're made for light. And Jesus is God showing himself forth God not hiding, God saying, here I am, this is exactly how I am. And that is what is challenged on a regular basis. So what I would like us to do, knowing that you're made for light, you have the eyes. You just need to get used to it. The eyes that are connected to God's vision, to God's sight, to truth. We just need to get our eyes blinking and adjust. You aren't lesser. You don't need a main guy to show you the way, a main teacher. God has set order in the church and there are ranks, there are people that have jobs, but you are not disqualified from seeing God. You are made for him. You are made with the right eyes of your heart. But we have an adversary who's continually saying, Jesus isn't that way. Sam, he's not, I'm picking on you today. I don't know why. You're just right there, front and center. We have an adversary saying, Jesus isn't the way he told you, or else this wouldn't have, and you wouldn't be experiencing. So I'm asking you right now, what is your biggest fear that you're facing? I'm not going to ask you to share it with us. We all can't be trusted with sensitive information. And that's just a fact, Jack. What is your fear? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it, I've wrecked my life. There's no hope. Is it financial? Whatever it is, we know what it is. We know the things that are, we don't have victory over yet. I'm going to ask you just to give it to him in view of the fact that you are the light you are exactly the way God is. So what is it about Jesus that is so true? You might say it like this, too good to believe, too good to be true. What is it that you see in Jesus that could almost be too good to be true? But it can't be because he doesn't lie. There's no darkness in him. You think you're done, you're over, you're washed up at 25 still cracks me up when I hear people say that. I'm washed up. You're 20? Come on. There's a lot of life yet to be lived. But these are things that all need to come under the light of Jesus, who is the light. I'm asking you today, just take that little thing, put it in your hand and say, Jesus, you're my light. I want who you've revealed yourself to be 
to burn that thing up. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, you are the light, and one thing we know about the light is it breaks darkness. Every day, you start every day by giving us a revelation that your light will break our darkness today. Every time the sun comes up, you're announcing, today I want to break some place of darkness, some hold of darkness, some dark thought. Jesus, you are the light. We're asking you to shine on these dark places and break their power. Render them powerless. Expose them for what they are, the lies and the accusations, because we know you are who you said you are. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. You're the one who gives us provision. You are our life. And you're the resurrection. Even dead places in us can be raised back up. And at the cross, you showed us the measure of our worth. You showed us the value you place on each one of us. For that, we give you praise and thanks. Now, Jesus, do what you do. Shine forth. Break chains. Chase away darkness. Expose lies. Father, alert us to these things as we walk through our week as well. Places where accusation seeks to slip in. And yet we can hold true to you. You indeed are our anchor. We thank you for lighting up our life and causing us to walk in new life. For that we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.